Well, good morning, Next Level Church. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. If you're glad you can be at NLC this morning, say yeah. All right, awesome. Well, we are in part two of our Who I Am, Who I Want to Be series. And before we move in that direction this morning, I just want to echo what Pastor Scott and Pastor Mike said about Vision Night tonight. You guys, in all of our six years of existence as a church, I have never been as excited about the Vision Night message as I am um, today. I'm telling you, it is going to be absolutely amazing. Six to seven tonight, and then we're hanging out after that for our mocktail party. It's going to be great. Uh, at seven to seven thirty out in the foyer. Right here, kids stuff is happening. So, so you, you got to be here tonight. If you're on board with NLC um, and, and love what God is doing, the vision, I'm waited, I've waited for six years to cast this vision for tonight. So I am pumped, pumped, pumped about that. Well, this is part two of our Who I Am, Who I Want to Be series. And last week, we kind of introduced the topic by talking about the fact that every one of us, whether we realize it or not or want to admit it or not, have gaps in our life. And there's this gap that each one of us face between who I am and who I want to be. And, and in between who I am and who I want to be is this, this gap. And, and so last week, we began talking about um, how we close this gap. Well, for the next few weeks, we're going to zero in on specific areas of our life where there happens to be, where we find a gap, where a gap like this can exist. And so this morning, I want us to zero in on stuff, the stuff zone of our life, the stuff I have and the stuff I want. Now, when you came into church this morning, you were handed some stuff. And I'm going to ask you right now to, to reach down, grab that stuff that you were handed. Come on, everybody. Get out your stuff. Hold it up. Look around. Look at all of that junk. I mean, stuff. You guys, look at all of this stuff. And, and let me just reiterate, listen, we do not want your stuff back. We have given you stuff. It's like the old wheel of fortune. Once you buy a prize, it's yours to keep. So don't even think about putting it back on the table. First service people are all like giving it back to us. What are you doing? This is stuff. It's your junk. We gave it to you. And actually, I walked past the table out here by the, this entrance, and I'm like, shut up. I didn't even know we had that stuff. So I'm like stealing stuff. No, I'm not. So we all got some stuff when we came in. See, here's the thing. We live in a world of stuff, don't we? We live in a world of stuff. All around us, every single day, is stuff. We're surrounded by music stuff, car stuff, house stuff, gadget stuff, golf stuff, game stuff, computer stuff. Computer stuff. Oh, I love you. <laughs> We're surrounded. We live in a world of stuff. And here's the thing. The culture we find ourselves in tells us that stuff matters. That there's something to this stuff that we have in our lives. See, see, culture wants us to believe, and, and somehow we kind of buy into this, that, that the stuff of our life somehow means significance, that he who has the most stuff must matter most. And don't we live our life that way? We, we look at someone who's got a bunch of stuff, and we're like, wow, they must really be significant. They must really be important. The, the culture we live in tells us that, um, that our stuff not only means significance, but it means success. Wow, he who has the most stuff is successful, right? And when we look around and we're like, ooh, you know, oh, wow, look at that. Ooh, they've got, ooh, that's, they must be really successful. Have you seen the neighborhood they live in? Uh, my God. Right? <laughs> we live in a world of stuff, a world that, that says that, that stuff in our life somehow equals status. And we look around and we go, he who has the most stuff or the, the newest stuff or the best stuff, 
somehow that person wins in our mind, right? It's this crazy thing that our mind does that runs away with us, that we live in this world of stuff, and we convince ourselves that, that we're, we're better or they're better than us. or that so, it, True story. It's church, so confession is good. Here we go. I, I was at a conference two weeks ago uh, in Orlando for a couple days with some pastors. There are only 30 or 40 pastors there. And uh, this last year, we converted, just because of technology and everything that we're doing as a church, we converted over in large part to, to Mac, from PC to Mac, so we could do video stuff and all of that. So um, they got me a Mac computer. And, um, again, hang on. Ooh, that's nice. So when they say, once you go Mac, you'll never go back. This is not a Mac commercial at all, I promise. Except, you guys, true story. I walk into this, this little conference dealio that we were at in Orlando, and all the guys are whipping out their computers, you know, and we're all going to take notes and be all spiritual. And no lie, I whip out my Mac and I'm like, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at the other guys who are like pulling out Dells or HP, and I'm like, come on. Right, and I'm like, really, I didn't check my heart. The one who stood up to lead worship, I'm like, God, I just repent of my Mac pride. What's going on in me? See, this, it's like this is, we live in a world of stuff, and somehow we convince ourselves that stuff makes us more successful, or that stuff makes us more significant, or that stuff means that we have a better status somehow. See, deep down inside of us, every one of us, this human nature thing kicks in. And here's the thing. We want our stuff to satisfy, don't we? It's like, it's like we think of stuff as a happy meter. And, and we live our life either consciously or most of the time unconsciously, believing that if I just get the right stuff, if I just have the right stuff, then this stuff will, will satisfy me. Let's play a little game. Fill in the blank. Ready? Here you go. I'll be happy when I have blank. See, we believe that, don't we? we something in us, this human nature thing rises up and... and We believe that if I could just get the newest, if I could just get the latest, if I could just get one step up, then that would satisfy me. Then that my happy meter would be full and I'd be fine. And we project this on others. We think that stuff equals happiness. And so we look at her and we're like, ooh, look at her ring. Mm -hmm. Wow. And uh, did you see those shoes? Wow. And look at her purse and the car she drives and the neighborhood they live in. They have two gates. Right? I mean, there's something about this, this, this stuff zone of our life that, that we want our stuff to satisfy us. We think that stuff equals happiness. But, but here's the thing. And we all know this is true. The desire for stuff in our lives is unending. Isn't it? The, the desire for, for stuff in our lives never quits. Again, we all live with this myth of, that we hope that, you know, one day that if I just get this, then my stuff wanter will shut off. About a year ago, if you've been around NLC um, that long, you, you know that there were a couple of messages where I s- sat up here and I talked about how I wanted an iPod. And I've been doing this wrestling match in my head of, you know, I want an iPod and 
Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to convince myself that I could be more spiritual. You know, I'd be a better Christian. If I had an iPod, I would be um, a better pastor if I had an iPod because then I could download. And so like a year ago, I stood up and I started to say all of this stuff. Well, apparently some of you, a group of you anonymously got together and bought me an iPod. And this is the iPod that you guys got me. And this iPod has been awesome. I don't know if I'm any more spiritual or a better pastor, but I certainly have a really cool iPod. And I was fine. Stuff, wonder, awesome. Till the staff Christmas party. David Hendricks, who is the husband of Marcy Hendricks, who's our amazing kids zone director, her husband David comes into our staff Christmas party during the holidays. And we're all fine. It's nice. We meet at the warehouse. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's awesome. And all through the thing, David's quiet. Then we get to the end, and we're hanging out, taking pictures by the tree, doing the whole deal. All of a sudden, I see this little huddle in the corner. I look over, and David's got an iTouch iPod. And he's flipping through. He's showing everybody. Look, it's Wi-Fi. I could be on iTunes right now and download the latest music right now. And I'm like, come on! Who are you? I was so mad, and all of a sudden... My iPod's not good enough. I mean, I'm thankful, and if I knew who you were, I'd hug you, but there's such a thing as an iTouch. See, watch. This, this stuff wonder never shuts off. The desire for stuff in our lives is unending, isn't it? There'll always be a newer model. There'll always be a brighter, faster, shinier, better model for us. In fact, the economy of the entire American culture is built on this one principle, that our stuff wonder never shuts off. This is how companies stay in business. Introducing to us the newer, bigger, better, faster, quicker stuff. So what do we do? I mean, we live in a world of stuff. And we want our stuff to satisfy us. We, we want somehow that all of this gadgets and the stuff, that somehow it would satisfy. Although we know it won't. And... We live in a world where there's always going to be newer, bigger, better, brighter, shinier, faster, quicker. So what do we do? How do we do this? How do you and I close the gap between the stuff I have and the stuff I want? What do we do now? Well, as I can see, I think we've only got two options. And there's a good chance that they're, they're not the options that we're all thinking in our head right now. See, I think option number one is this. Plain and simple, this is the obvious one. We give into it. Okay? We live in a world of stuff. We're surrounded by gazillions of stuff, stuff every day of our life, and so we give into it. And we start today, and we spend every waking moment of every day from here until the day we die doing whatever it takes to get as much stuff in our life as we possibly can. And we give into it and we, we go get a second job and we leverage ourselves to the hilt with debt and we do whatever it takes at any cost to try and pour water into a bucket that has no bottom. And we give into it and we go for it and we say, okay then, I, if, if we live in a world of stuff, then I am going stuff crazy. That's certainly one option. I remember um, when I was a kid, there was a season of my life where my brother and I decided to raise gerbils. And he was in high school and I was in junior high, so I blame him. 
Um, and anybody who's been around gerbils for any extended period of time knows that if you put a male gerbil and a female gerbil in the same modified fish aquarium, that you're no longer raising gerbils, you're breeding them. And so I think at one point we had like 40 gerbils living in the basement of my parents' house. <laughs> we can't shut them off, Mom! <laughs> well, we had, we had this wheel that the gerbils would run in. And I can remember as a kid watching these gerbils in this modified fish aquarium. And they would get in the wheel and they would run and they'd 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 never get anywhere. And they'd run and they'd run and they'd run until they like were on the brink of exhaustion. And they'd go over to their food bowl and they'd fall in from exhaustion. And they would take on a little nourishment only to get back in the wheel. And run and run and run and run and run. And I guess when it comes to stuff, that's certainly an option for us. Matter of fact, there was a guy in the Bible named Solomon. And Solomon actually tried that. If you don't read the Bible, you've got to read the Bible. There's some fascinating stuff in the Bible. In the book of Ecclesiastes, which is actually kind of a, a letter, a memoir, that Solomon wrote in the Old Testament. And, and he writes this letter, this, we know it as a book, known as Ecclesiastes. And he actually talks about his journey, his testimony with this war on stuff, so to speak. And here's what he wrote. Look at this. Ecclesiastes 2.1 says this. It says, I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. So he's like, all right, listen. I live in a world of stuff. Game on. Bring it. And Solomon had the resources that we're about to find out to engage this thing. He wanted to see how much water this bottomless bucket could hold. How long this wheel could roll in the gerbil cage. Look what he said. Verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. He had it all. Houses, vineyards, wine racks. He had houses on lakes so that he could take the water from the reservoir and put it in the the fruit trees. You name it, he had it. Look at this verse 8. I had amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. He's like, everybody wanted to be me because I had the stuff going on. Look at this. I acquired male and female singers. This is kind of like the Bible Times version of iTunes. Before MP3, they just hired the singers. Just come to my house, just sing for me. That's great. Turn it up. I I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. That's kind of like the Bible Times version of Playboy. The delights of every man's heart. I, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He's like, everybody looked up to me because of the stuff I had. Verse 10, look. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. He's like, if I could see it, I wanted it. I wanted it. I wanted to stuff myself silly. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. He's like, oh, no, no, it was a lot of work. I had to labor. My heart, but I loved every minute of it. I worked and I worked and I worked and I labored and I toiled. And this was the reward for all my toil. He's like, I did it. There's a reward. I worked my tail off trying to acquire all of this stuff. And I did it from the houses to the vineyards to the reservoirs to the iTunes to the Playboy subscription to ever. I had it all. And yeah, I had a reward. The reward was my stuff. But then look at what he says in verse 11. This is so amazing. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, And what I had toiled or worked really, really hard to achieve, look at this conclusion. The bucket really didn't have a bottom. 
And the wheel never really did stop. Everything was meaningless. And then look at this visual. He gives us a chasing after the wind. He's like, listen, I recognize that I lived in a world of stuff and I tried to make stuff satisfy me. And I gave into it and I went crazy trying to get at any of the stuff that I could get. I got to the end of it all and I realized that the bucket was still empty. See, that's one option. We live in a world of stuff. And when we consider the question, the stuff I have and the stuff I want and the gap in between and how do we close this gap, one option for us is to fall into it and say, great, I'll do it. I will spend my entire life trying to amass the stuff. But I think there's a second option as well. And before you race to the extreme on the other side of this thing of throw ourselves whole into it and then the other side of it, and some of us are already going there. So what are you saying, bro? Are we all just going to sell all our stuff and move to Africa? I mean, what's, what's the verdict? Before you let your mind go there, I, I don't think the other option is necessarily what we thought what we often think the opposite of that extreme would be. See, I think the second option available to us is that we find a way to look at our stuff differently. The second option is that we find a way to look at, at the stuff of our life differently than maybe we ever have before. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met someone, have you ever known someone who had stuff that they lived in the world you and I live in, but they didn't let the obsession for stuff have them? Have you ever interacted with someone like that? Have you ever spent any time with someone who had stuff, and you looked at their life and you're like, wow, they, they actually have stuff, but somehow they don't live like we live. They, they don't let the obsession for stuff have them. Have you ever met someone like that? We actually have some people like that in our church. And i got to be honest with you, as a leader, they blow my mind. There's one couple who's been with us since the early, early days of our church, and they told us in the early days, whatever, whatever you need, whatever we have, you're welcome to it, you're welcome to use it, you're welcome to do it. I mean, you guys, they're so, so generous. It's like they live at a whole different plane of reality when it comes to stuff than, than most of us do. It, they, we used their house for a long time for church meetings. We would even use their house to have like church stuff in. When they were up north for the summer, they were just like, come in, just use it, it's fine, just, yeah, whatever. They have a, a sports car convertible. And they told me, they said, anytime you want to, really, whatever we have is yours. And if you want to use the car, great. So I called them up and I used it one time. So last Christmas, um, on New Year's Day, I had to take my nephew home. He lives upstate. And so I called him up, and I'm like, hey, you know how you guys said that if I ever wanted to use your car? I'm thinking, road trip, convertible, water, right? It was like 62 degrees. It was horrible. I come over to their house. They give me the keys. It wasn't until I'm walking out the door that the husband goes, oh, by the way, where are you going? It doesn't, I'm, I'm like, what? I mean, people like that blow our mind, don't they? Why? Because it's like they've, they've tapped into like an alter reality when it comes to the stuff that they have and the stuff that they want. It's like, like they're, they're, they know something different about their stuff that maybe most of us don't. 
ever know or understand. Well, as I've been thinking this through, as I've been working this through, I found one scripture that I think is so huge for us to understand. It's in Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to put it up on the screen here in a second. Verse 16, and I'm actually going to use the New Living Translation of this because I love the way it poses the question. Look at this. Paul is writing to the church at Rome here, and look at what he says. Don't you know that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? Don't you know that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master. And see, Paul's writing to, to this church in Rome, and, and they're struggling with the same thing we are. They're living in the same kind of world we're living in, a material world, and they're trying to balance this whole deal. And Paul writes to them, and he says, listen, there's a principle going on here, and he introduces this word, master, into the equation. And certainly as it relates to our stuff, the same word applies. He says, listen, if you choose to obey the urges and the cravings and the bottomless bucket that is the pursuit of stuff in your life, if you, if you choose to obey all of that, just uninhibited, eventually your stuff will become your master. That's a strong word, isn't it? See, here's what I think. I think these people who, who have stuff, who live in the world we live in, who watch the same commercials we watch, but don't let the obsession for stuff have them. I, I think, here's what they understand. This is the principle. If you want to write this down, this is huge. They understand that stuff is a great servant and a terrible master. Stuff is a great servant and a terrible master. See, here's how the majority of us live our lives. Let me see if I can give it to us in a visual. Look at this. We live our life where stuff is the master. And then as the master, we end up being the slave or the servant of our stuff. But, of course, we've got to factor God into the equation somehow in our life, and, and certainly with the pursuit of stuff, and once we make stuff our master, then it's like, okay, now what do I do? Well, what part does God play in that? Well, God's kind of like my cosmic you know, slot machine. God's my magic genie because I need God to serve me so that I can serve my stuff. I mean, that's kind of that's the way the whole thing breaks down. See, when we choose to obey, when we give our heart over to this pursuit of stuff thing with just rampant, just like Solomon did or the gerbils doing the wheel, when we give ourselves to that, then we become the servant to the stuff, and consequently we make God the servant of us so that we can serve our stuff. And most everybody in our culture today lives their life like this. But what if we could flip it? And see, here's what I think. I think that the people who have stuff but don't um, let the obsession for stuff have them, I think they understand this. I think they understand that we've got to flip this. And put God on the top of our life, and then us, and then our stuff. Watch. If God becomes master, whom we serve, then check this out. Our stuff simply becomes a servant of us, so that we can serve Did you catch it? Think of how that would change our perspective on the stuff of our lives. Think of the pressure that would take off 
of our lives. Think of the freedom that we'd feel. Think of the weight that would be lifted off of our shoulders. Think of the meaning our stuff would now have if all of a sudden the stuff of our lives simply became our servant so that we could serve God better, more effectively. All of a sudden, the stuff of our life that right now for some of us is killing us, living under the weight of the mastership of stuff, would be released, and all of a sudden, the stuff of our life would simply become a tool to serve us so that we can serve God more effectively. Think of the meaning that would come to our lives. Why do we do that? How do we, how do we flip this over? Okay, Matt, great, you got me. What, what do I do? How do I, how do I flip it from stuff being the master and me serving stuff and God serving me so I can keep serving stuff to where God is the master and I serve him and then consequently all my stuff just simply sets me up to serve him better. How do I flip that over? What do we do? How do we do this? I think very simply, we have to surrender our stuff. I think when it, when it all comes down to it, we have to surrender our stuff. Because watch this, this is so huge. Only surrendered stuff brings fulfillment. We all know that's true, don't we? Because some of us right now have stuff in our lives that's not surrendered, but is the master. And it's killing us. There's no fulfillment in a bill you can't pay off at the end of the month. There's no fulfillment in a mortgage that you can't pay. There's no fulfillment in the weight, in the stress, and the pressure of living under the master of stuff. See, only surrendered stuff brings true fulfillment in our life. And, and understanding how to surrender our stuff to God, understanding the role that stuff is designed to play in our lives as simply a servant of us so we can serve Him. That's the sweet spot of life. That's when it matters. Recognizing that stuff is simply there to, to, to be used to help us serve God. And anything that pulls us away from that aim of pleasing God is an idol. Anything that comes between us and our ability to serve and surrender our lives to God is never going to end well. It's never going to take us anywhere we want to go. And some of us have allowed the stuff that we want and the stuff we have to get in the way of our ability to surrender to God. Since we're talking about the whole surrender to God thing, let me just kind of pause for a minute right here. Because, of course, I'm kind of focusing on the bottom two, us and our stuff, us and our stuff. But the truth is, this whole deal really only works when we kind of engage the top two, which is us surrendering to God. And maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're listening over the internet, I don't know. But maybe you, you've spent your life trying to fill this gap, fill this void, fill this, fill this, this place in, in the core of your being that when all the lights are off and you're left alone, 
you know that there's this emptiness in your life. And maybe you've tried to fill that emptiness with, with stuff. Maybe you've tried to, to fill it with, with career or with pursuits or with fame or prestige or fortune. Maybe you've, maybe you've tried every sort, sort of thing on the planet like Solomon did to fill that void in your heart. But see, here's the thing. No amount of stuff, no amount of relationship, no amount of, of alcohol, no amount of any sort of thing that we can try and fill that void, that deep place in our heart that we all know exists. No amount of any of this will ever be able to fill that void because that's a void that only God can fill. But here's the thing. God is only able to fill that void when we surrender to Him. See, there's a loving Heavenly Father. There's a loving Creator who desperately longs to come in and fill that void in our hearts. But He's waiting on us to simply stop and say, welcome. I'm, I'm going to stop trying to fill my life with all of that. I'm just going to let you come in and fill me up. The Bible says that he, it's like Jesus is standing at the door of our heart knocking. And if any of us would simply open that door a little bit and say, yeah, come on in. That he wants to, to engage us on a personal level. Think of that. The God of the universe wants to engage us on a personal level. Be in relationship with us. The other alternative is that you go back to the stuff and you try and cram it in and fill that void and it's just, there's no bottom in that bucket. You know what, right now, I just want to pause for a second and give us an opportunity because I believe that right now, some of us, God is dealing with our heart right now. That We've been trying to fill our life with everything but Him and He's brought you to this place today. It's not an accident you're here because He wants... He wants to fill you up with himself today. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that real quick across the room. Can we just bow our heads real quick just for the privateness of this moment? And I want to lead us in prayer and sitting right where you're at or listening right where you're listening today. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond in your heart, to cross over that line and say, yeah, God, I'm going to stop trying to fill my life up with everything else. And I'm going to let you fill up that longing that is deep in my heart today. Will you pray with me? I'm just going to pray the prayer, but... I want you to echo that prayer in your heart today. Jesus, we come to you right now. We thank you, God, for this amazing, tender moment where you've revealed to us that the emptiness, the void that we felt in our heart for so long, that we tried to fill up with every other thing known to man. Lord, thanks for revealing that to us. And so right now, God, seated right where we are, listening right where we are today, Lord, we pause and we we acknowledge that the pursuit of all of that has not at all taken us where we wanted to go in our life. But that this morning we want to open our heart to you. So Lord, we acknowledge that our pursuit of something other than you has created distance between us. The Bible calls that sin. And so God, we acknowledge that and we confess that right now. And Father, we pray that you would come in, Lord, that we're opening the door to you, and we invite you to come in and fill that void. God, fill us up with your presence like only you can. Father, I pray that you would help us to go from this moment on for the rest of our days with an awareness that you are truly all we need and that you're the one who fills us up. Lord, we accept you now. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you did that, would you do me a favor today on your way out? Um, there's a, on, in your bulletin there, the, on the side, there's a connection card. And down at the bottom, there's two little boxes there that said, I just said yes, or I just rededicated. Would you take that card and mark one of those boxes? And then if you're leaving out the foyer, um, take it to one of those first, second, or third time kiosks. And if you're going to newcomer's reception, which I'm excited about meeting so many of you um, right through these doors, bring that card with you and just hand it to someone there at the table this morning in the newcomer's reception. Because... We want to, to communicate with you as a church. We want to help you unpack a little bit more what it means to be in relationship with God. And so I have something I want to send to you this week. If you'll simply um, bring those connection cards to one of those two places, that would be amazing. But let's go back to us, to all of us. Let's, let's zoom back in into getting our stuff to surrender to us and becoming master over our stuff and not the other way around. Here's what I want to do. I want to end this message on an ultra-practical um, feel. With three questions. This is kind of the homework of Sunday morning. Ready for this? Here you go. I hope that some of us, and you may feel awkward. This may be a little crazy for you. You might want to wait till the kids are in bed or else they're going to think that daddy and mommy are being weird. Here's what I hope you do. I hope that you will go home this today, before vision night, and I hope that you will walk around your house and pick up every piece of stuff that you've got. And I hope that you'll ask these three questions with every single stuff thing in your world. Ready? Here's your homework. Ready? These are ultra practical. Ready? Here you go. Number one, three questions we've got to ask ourselves when we get home. Number one, who does this stuff serve? Who does this stuff serve? Pick it up. Some of us need to stop in the driveway and look at our house and say, who does this stuff serve? Is it serving me? Is it serving my ego? Is it serving my image? Some of us are going to have to stop in the parking lot before we get in our car and we're going to have to go time out. Who does this stuff serve? Is it, is it serving my image and my success, my significance, my status? Who does this stuff serve? Question number two, here you go. Question number two is this. What place is this stuff in in my life? Is, is this stuff master of me or am I master of it? And I, I would love that. I would love to, to hear the story. Shoot an email to the office this week and tell us how it went. Walking around your house, opening every drawer and every door and going through stuff. And who does this serve? And what place is this in? And what about this? That'd be awesome. See, what, here's a, this is a great question right here. Is this stuff making it easier or harder for me to serve God? Because if you're drowning in a sea of debt because of stuff... That thing's got mastery over us. If, if we can't afford the payments and at the end of every month we're going, God, I got more months than I got money. You got to help me. The stuff is our master. It's in the wrong place in our life and God never intended it to be that way. And then question number three. Go ahead. What should I do with this stuff? Okay. What do I, what do I got to do? Awesome. Let's clean house. Garage sale. <laughs> what should I do with my stuff? Some of us need to sell it. There's probably some stuff in our life that we're going, you know what, I'm living up underneath this, and I am serving it. It's not serving me, and that's not fun, and I'm not going to live there anymore. I need to be way more free so I can serve him instead of serving it. Some of us need to sell stuff. Maybe we need to give it away. Maybe some of us need to donate it. Maybe some of us need to make it available for, for God's purposes. I don't know. How do we use our stuff? How, how do we make our stuff serve us so we can serve him more effectively? I don't know, but what I do know is this. Stuff is a great servant and a horrible master. Let's stand together this morning. As the worship team comes back, they're going to lead us in the song that we sang earlier today. This We fall down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And I believe that right now, 
already God is beginning to speak to some of us. He's turning on the light bulb in our mind, isn't he? And we're thinking of stuff already right now that we're going, i got to lay that down. That thing is in the wrong place in my life. And I just want to give us an opportunity for the next three or four minutes here to just reflect on this worship chorus, to reflect on these words, to sing along with all of our heart, and to just let God meet with us. I believe God wants to speak to each and every one of us this morning about the stuff we have and the stuff we want. And our heart is in the middle. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can be together today. Father, thank you for bringing us to this place where we can become aware of the stuff of our lives. Father, I pray that in these next few moments as we reflect on the words of this chorus, that we would indeed lay our crowns, we would lay our stuff at the feet of Jesus. We would surrender it to you, that it would no longer master us, but that it would be our servant so that we can serve you more effectively. In Jesus' name.